kote pai tawhiti whai kia tata, kote pai tata whakamaua kia tina. Seek out the distant horizons, cherish those you attain. Inga iwi o te motu, tēnei te mihi kia tātou katoa, nau mai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahika. Ko Justine Murray tēnei. I'm Justine Murray and you're with Radio New Zealand National's Kaupapa Māori programme, Te Ahika. This week it's Māori squash, models and a farewell for a waka. Daniel Hayes won New Zealand's Next Top Model and is now anticipating a career in fashion. Later in the show, I talk to her 80s equivalent. She placed top three of the model competition Face of the 80s, glam model Leanne Matuku. She reminisces about her modelling career and says having whānau around was important in a cutthroat industry. I had a partner who was... He was my rock all the way through. And I do recall coming home on occasion and feeling like I was just, you know, Miss Universe because all day long you get told how beautiful you are. (laughs) And one time he walked in and said, what was for tea? And I'm like, but hang on, I've just just done a shoot and I'm beautiful and you ask me what's for tea? And he's like, yeah, well, what's for tea? And it was just a grounding that I always had around me so it kept me real. More from Leanne a little later in Te Ahika. Also, we attend the official blessing and farewell the waka Te Heke Rangatira as it travels from Te Papa to Aratoi Museum in Masterton for the exhibition Wairarapa Moana. Really very, very, very significant because we're having our taonga, our uh, tino rangatira, the waka, being our taonga hoki, a hoki mai ki te wairarapa. It's wonderful to have it come back for the uh, for the hui that we're going to have the exhibition and uh, for the seven months we're having it there. It's lovely. The Fano from Wairarapa Moana. That's coming up later. But first, Māori squash. Nareira e koto ma fakarongo tonu mai. Keep listening. You're with Te Ahika. Kotemia tuatahi. The Ngahau e Fa Māori Squash Tournament began in 1981. Ngahau e Fa is the four corners of the wind, and as the name suggests, players come from iwi all around Aotearoa. The competitive whānau atmosphere had 11 iwi competing for the various taonga that are trophies for the divisions and age group sections. With role models like Leilani Joyce and Dame Susan Devoy to aspire to, the competition has fostered some pretty impressive talent, including 32-year-old and New Zealand's third-ranked Tamsin Levy, who competed at the Delhi Commonwealth Games. There are two things you really notice about the tournament. One, it's a great place for Māori whānau to gather and enjoy themselves. And two, it's a time to celebrate sporting achievements. Can you tell me your, your, your name and where you're from? Gloria Hakiwai and um, Ngāti Parau, but I actually live in Wellington. <laughs> so you're the organiser of the event? One of them. We've got a huge committee. Yeah, yeah. What is the Ngāhauwefa squash tournament about? It's about whakawhanaungatanga. Uh, you know, it's about um, upping our kids. It's about pushing the talent of our kids through and squash so that they we got lots of Joels and not just, you know... <laughs> And how many rohe or ewe have we got here today? We've got actually probably, we've got 8, 9, 10, 11. Probably 11. 11. You're being represented because <coughs> we had kapahaka last night. It's part of our tournament every year. We have one night which is about, you know, everybody coming together, a social evening. The next night's kapahaka. And then the last night is prize giving. 
So every door here gets up and does an item. It's it's not uh, not matatini, but <laughs> not quite matatini, yeah. but it's the squash version yeah, of matatini. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, and it's about just really everybody um, taking part. You know, and, and squash is the winner on the day because there's so much, but it's really more about whakawhanangatanga. And it's an open tournament. Even though it's a Māori national tournament on the New Zealand squash calendar, it's called a Māori tournament because we run it. It's actually open to anybody. So many people come to us and say to us, can, can we enter when not Māori? No, yeah, of course you can. Anybody can. So it's not exclusive to... No, not at all. But we do expect them to take part. Every time the, the kaupapa is to go back to the marae, everybody actually, you know, joins in. So it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, we expect you to come back and stay at the marae. Unless you're, unless you're like some of us that need a motel because they can't sleep on the floor anymore. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's more about it's more about everybody getting together. So that's why we always go back to the marae and it's about, you know, making links, fucka papa, checking with everybody, you know, more fucka fanangatanga is the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Kia ora. There's the man to talk to. Kia ora Arapata, could you explain what your role is here please? Uh, well, te rape kwau nei te um, uh, kaitaka waingane mō ngā, mō ngā tangata pēna i ākwe. Uh, Kia ora. He mahi māma, he mahi taumaha. Kei te pai, kei te pai te mahi. Engari kwau nei kei roti te uh, kōmiti whakahaere mō tēnei, mō tēnei tōna mana. My role there, the uh, segment meter, I suppose to be the, to help coordinate the media. But um, yeah, part of that there is that we've got an organising committee, Tafangano uh, Yatara, and really as a host there we try and well we're looking after all the different uh, from the accommodation to the manaki tanga to the food and and so forth. So my role there really I suppose is besides helping to drive some vehicles, is to just to uh, coordinate all the media. We also as part of the tournament we instil those values of uh, manaki tanga and faka the kinship and, uh, and that's important and so at the moment we're inside the facility watching the men's finals the finals are going to be played uh, all day today Sunday this late weekend we're sitting in the stadium area and we're looking at a squash um, court, squash court yeah. there's three walls how can the yep, ball. that's a squash ball, yep. How many times can it bounce once? Oh, look, a uh, squash ball can bounce as many times as you like, as long as the ball is uh, on the the red line on the bottom there, as long as the ball goes above that, and the top red line is, as long as you can play the red ball anywhere between that, it's, it's this red line right at the top, it's in play, so a lot of the rallies actually go on and on until someone actually wins. So uh, you've got New Zealand uh, world players there, they'll, they will rally and rally for ages. And uh, I mean, your heart is pumping. I mean, you're running from, they're, they're hitting longs, they're dropping it, you're running here. It's all right if you're young, but if you're, if you're a master, you start sort of, yeah, reaching, yeah. And so we have two young boys in front of us playing right now? Yes, this is, this is the, uh, the B-grade uh, juniors. And uh, this is for the final. So they're, they're competing for the, the top of the B-grade ju- uh, juniors or junior means. Kia ora, Kia ora. Thank you. Awesome.
This weekend, this Labour Weekend 2010, it's all about Māori, Nga Hauwewha uh, Squash Tournament. And uh, with me, kia ora hini. Kia ora. Uh, ko Tamsin Levy, takunga. Um, no Taumara Nui ahau. Uh, ko uh, Ngāti Tuwhare Toa te iwi. Ko Ngāti Hikairo te hapu. Uh, ko Otuko te marau. Now, Tamsin, you've just come back from the Commonwealth Games. Yes, yeah, that's right. Just five, six days ago. Yeah. Can you tell me in your own words what that experience was like? Have you always competed at that level of elite? Yes, I um, well previously um, I competed in the 2006 Commonwealth Games as well um, and the experience this time was just as amazing as it was the first time. Um, even more so much with Indians uh, being you know, such beautiful people, you know, their culture and you know, I really enjoyed that aspect, that aspect of it. Um, you know, they're friendly, they're always smiling, you know, and they... They, ha- they don't have material things like we do, and, and they love life. They're so happy, and, and it was really um, wonderful to experience that. That's a really um, great attitude in spite of everything that we heard on the media about, you know, things weren't finished, the rooms were grotty. Uh, well, well, that's it, and, and that was before the games, you know, started, and, they, and and it was a really shame that the media portrayed it to, to be like that. Where India, you know, is a country that really deserves, um, you know, to be acknowledged for the great work that they did and, and what they did achieve with it. It was amazing the job that they did, and um, it was good, if not better than you know, than Melbourne. It was um, they did a wonderful job. I can see there was a few things that were left, you know, unfinished, but you can see the vision that they had and and what they wanted to achieve and um, if, if they had another month or so it would have you know would have been immaculate. The whole atmosphere and, and that is, is the same like the, as the athletes you know we, we take a very professional approach in, into what we do. Um, squash they play the singles and the doubles so we're pretty much playing for the entire um, period of, of the Commonwealth Games. Um, these courts that they built in India, the first time that they'd ever been used was the Commonwealth Games at the most beautiful complex, you know, I've seen. I think um, rumour has it was cost $90 million to build that, that complex and the courts were immaculate. That, you know, was really amazing. Um, spectators, the numbers were lower than Melbourne, um, but the atmosphere was, was just the same. Pretty electric. Yeah, it was mm. great, eh? Mm. Tamsin, can you tell me please about your involvement with squash? When did it all begin? Uh, My parents both played squash. My three older brothers, they played squash also and being the youngest of the family, so I was pretty much taken to the squash club in in a a pram, you know, when it first started. So um, So hockey wasn't an option? (laughs) Not at all. You know, my mum played um, morning ladies' morning squash. You know, so I was down there. But, you know, I can remember being three years old and, and eating ice cream, watching her play, and um, and jumping on the court just like the kids are these days. As soon as the adults walk off, the kids are in there playing, and and, and that was me. And I've done that so my whole life. In terms of your standing within Aotearoa, where do you, in terms of um, ranking, ranking? Yeah, um, I'm currently number three in, in New Zealand. Um, I think 2004 I was the New Zealand champion um, and I was uh, growing up all the age groups knew that the age group champions um, as you know as as I grew up um, had a few few um, careers and I've had a few comebacks since then you know having children having a break with having my children and um, but I love the sport you know it's it's part of my life you know and and it always will be so you know I tried to retire and I you know but I keep coming back and can't, just can't help yourself that's it it, it is it is my life you know yeah. what does a tournament like Nahoe Far mean um, not only for New Zealand but for Māori in general um, it's 
I think, you know, bringing our tikanga into squash is, is, is a great thing because squash is a very family-oriented, you know, sport. Um, you know, you, you can play young, old, you, you hit down here, the kids are playing the, you know, the kuros and, um, and that everyone is participating. And, and to bring our tikanga into something, into the sport, um, it just makes it even more special. The weekend is, is amazing. I've seen that... Um, I've played the last six, six or seven years in a row, and I've seen the kids as 11-year-olds when they first started, and now they're 18. And now they're yeah. over you. <laughs> uh, I'm Scott Gillian from Lower Hutt. Scott, how long have you been playing squash for? I first picked up a racket when I was one. Yeah, studying the ball when I was three, and I started playing competitively when I was six. Um, have, have your whanau played squash before? Um, yeah, my family have all played squash. My mum's retired. She used to play for Indonesia at the... Yeah, sea Games. Have you been overseas for many um, competitions? Yep, I've been to the UK in 2008, Australia and Malaysia for the last two years. Jeez, <laughs> that is pretty impressive and you're only 12. Thank you. When I went overseas, it's just myself and it's probably a couple of like people from Wellington going over with Nick Meter. Tell me about the awards that you've won, trophies and ranking. Um, this year I've won the North, North Island and South Island Junior Age Groups for under-15s and then two weeks ago I won the um, under-15 national title. Gloria Hakiwai, Arapata Hakiwai, Tamsin Levy and you just heard there Scott Galloway. That's from the 2010 Ngahauefa Māori Squash Tournament. And the next one is happening in Te Waipaunamu for pitches from the tournament. Head to our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. If you've been following the TV show New Zealand's Next Top Model, then you'll know that Danielle Hayes from Kawiro in the Bay of Plenty won it. So she's in for a few busy months. But the prospect of her future is a good excuse to rewind the clock, say 20 or so years, to the 1980s. What was it like to be a model back then? Well, for Taranaki health and sports promoter Leanne Matuku, who placed in the top three of the equivalent competition called Face of the 80s, there were a couple of lessons. The first was that, in the end, modelling wasn't for her, and the second she gained an insight into how competitive it is and how catty models can be. You've been a model in the, in the past, haven't Aye. you? How did it all start? Well, how did it all start? Yes. I think my mother was really um, interested in having me look like a girl because I was a real tomboy grew up as a real tomboy never wore shoes never wore dresses where did you grow up in here in Taranaki right Taranaki born and bred uh, so my mother sent me to some deportment class thing how to wear makeup how to wear high like heels like an etiquette class aye, aye. with the book on your head and it was hilarious it was silly I just would laugh my way through the whole of everything but anyway from there uh, my mother then, we had photos taken, and it was all fun, I enjoyed it, never really took it that seriously, and my photos were sent into what was then called the face of the 80s, and I made the finals. And was this like us, a model competition? Aye, it was on TV, it was quite a big deal here in, here in New Zealand, um, so 12 of us finalists were chosen from, I don't know, hundreds I suppose, went to Auckland, 
and little old me from Taranaki, I think there was myself and one other girl that weren't from Auckland. All the rest of the finalists were from Auckland. Was this about the Rachel Hunter aye, time? Aye, okay. Yes, so during aye. the 80s? During and... the 80s, and it was called Face of the 80s. So again, it was just a whole lot of fun for me. I went there totally unprepared, never wore makeup. I might have had a brush and some oil of Yulan, you know, all very flash, not. Um, <laughs> and I recall being told we had some function on the last day and I had nothing to wear because you can't really rock up in your track pants and T-shirts. So I had to get my mother to send me one of her flash outfits because I didn't really have flash outfits, uh, which was hilarious. Um, and we stayed at the the Hyatt Hotel, very flash, very, very flash. And I loved it. I just thought it was a, I was there for the ride, having you a whole like lot a of fun. You were like a kid in a candy store. Oh, my gosh. But not really that intimidated or impressed by some of those that were around because they were all pretty... Um, so was it something that you thought, oh, well, you know, I'll do this for Mum? Well, no, it. I kind of thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. You know, it was a real kind of confident young lady, give everything a go at least once. If I don't like it, bah, I'll give that, you know, flick that How one away. How old would you have been at that time? I was 20, 20, going 21, 20. Um, so it was really funny because some of those girls are very materialistic and quite hilarious, I thought, and took themselves way too seriously. Um, anyway, I didn't win it. Apparently I got into the top three. And one thing, and it might have been a turning point, actually, I was rooming with a girl who was quite nasty, but that all went over my head. Um, and, yes, she was pretty, but so what? There are a zillion pretty girls out there. And we got a note under our door one day that said the judge at the time was Stuart Cameron, and he was co-owner of Chadwick's Model Management. who had, They had Al McPherson on their books at the time, so from Australia. So I kind of knew who Al McPherson was, had no idea what Chadwick's was. Uh, then got this note under the door saying... You are one of the three that Stuart Cameron would like to talk to. And my roommate at the time said, oh, well, that's for me, because there was no name on it. (laughs) And I went, that's for you. Why is it for you? It might be for me. No, no, that's for me. So me being me, I rang Stuart Cameron and said, we've got this note under our door. Who's it for? Is it for this one or this one? He goes, oh, no, that's for you. I went, oh. Cool. So I hang up and go, it's for me. Anyway, <laughs> so I go to the, you know, bowl on in. And at the time he'd said to me, you need to lose some weight. Um, I believe you could make it as a model in Sydney. No promises, no contract. You get yourself there. This was like in the October. You get yourself there in the January uh, and we'll see how you go. So sweet as. So anyway, we did the show. I didn't win a girl called, um, oh, I can't think of her name. 80s, who was big in the 80s? Oh, she was, yes, can't think of her name. Anyway, lovely girl, one, probably out of the 12, maybe one of the two that I quite liked. The rest of them wouldn't really, wouldn't invite them home for tea, that's for sure. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, well, that was finished. Went home and said to my boyfriend at the time, this man reckons I could be a model. i just got to lose some weight. What do you reckon? He goes, yeah, let's give that a go. So started to run and, you know, kind of concentrate a little bit on... I mean, I was only like a size 12. I wasn't overweight. But to succeed in the modelling industry, you needed to be quite slim. Um, So we worked on that. He came back to New Zealand in about the end of December, beginning of January, wanted to see me again to see if I'd done, I guess to see if I was serious about it, I suppose. And I was, and I'd lost weight, and he said, yep, come on over. So we packed up, 
sold the car, packed up, went to uh, Sydney, and for the first four months lived in a concrete jungle. And for my partner and I, who's now my husband, father of my two children, um, it was a huge eye-opener because we went from little old New Plymouth to big, bad Sydney. And it was just like, whoa. It blew me away, actually. Mm. For the first three to four months, I didn't get a single job. It was awful, horrible, hated Did you do those go-sees? Go-sees. You just do castings and go-sees, castings and go-sees. But you've... To begin with, you've got to get a portfolio together, and all that costs money. Which is photographer. Aye. So it's, and they'll, they give you a few different looks. So you want like um, a casual look, a high fashion look, swimwear, um, a beauty shot, which is kind of just your face. And so I had to do all these things. And they were really cool, really loved the photos, but I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I was fresh and raw, I suppose you'd say. Um, from that, didn't, still didn't get a single job and started to get quite sad and just wanted to go home. Then the agent said, we think you should go to Melbourne. This was after about five months of not a single job, just walking with my how'd five you photos. How'd you, um, how'd you my, eat? Yeah, exactly. Um, we lived on a box of bananas for one week, I do recall. Um, my husband got a job, or my boyfriend at the time got a job. I was also working part-time at KFC. Um, no good for the modelling figure. No, no, no. So wasn't really taking it all that seriously then either, which is a bit naughty really. Um, anyway, they said, go to Melbourne. We reckon you could get a job in Melbourne. And I was about ready to quit and go home. Um, and you know, I went to Melbourne after two weeks, got my first job. And really, from that moment on, it just took off. It just took off. And it's amazing when you get a job, your confidence lifts, and you start to be a happier person, and you know things just start to work for you. So my tane came down. He ended up playing rugby for Victoria and being the captain of that team. And so anyway, eight years later, we were still there. In Melbourne. In Melbourne. And I went to Spain at one point to do some modelling, but my head wasn't really in the game. Still um, wasn't in it. Not Did really. Did you find it a shallow industry? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Of all the girls I worked with, you know, there might have been two or three that I would consider to be friends and would even bother to bring home to meet my family or um, go socialising with them in the weekend. A lot, very material world. Um, you're as good as you look. And that's really sad. Were there things such as alcohol and drugs around you? Definitely. And a lot of smoking. They would smoke to not eat. Um, Suppress the appetite. Aye, aye. And I used to smoke cigarettes as well. Um, Yes, there were drugs. Fortunately for me, I had a partner who was... He was my rock all the way through. And I do recall coming home on occasion and feeling like I was just, you know, Miss Universe because all day long you get told how beautiful you are. (laughs) And one time he walked in and said, what was for tea? And I'm like, but hang on, I've just... I've just done a shoot and I'm beautiful and you're asking me what's for tea? And he's like, yeah, well, what's for tea? And it was just a grounding that I always had around me so it kept me real. I mean, to him, you're Leanne, his girlfriend. Exactly. I don't care what makeup you're wearing or not. It was interesting for him when he would come and watch catwalk parades that I would be in. We did swimwear parades. We did underwear, lingerie parades. In the end, he couldn't come and watch those anymore. Um, Not so much as he couldn't watch me and the other beautiful women that were on the catwalk. It was more the people that were watching us. He couldn't cope with the people that were watching me. 
I suppose. So he had to learn not to just not not to put himself in that situation because he didn't like it. Um, Did you miss your taha Māori during those eight years? Or your marae and your um, people? I missed my whānau. Yeah. I honestly, I didn't realise how much whānau meant to me. Um, and being away for that long, we'd come home about once a year. We'd come home. And I, I had great friends in Melbourne, and a lot of them Māori, um, and I'd organise them. We'd be playing netball, basketball. I'd pretty much do what I'm doing here, organise people. Um, and I didn't realise how much I missed until I'd come home and reignite with everyone. Uh, then I'd go back to Melbourne and I'd be miserable. Be for, harder to leave every time. Uh, and my friends and friends in Melbourne would say, you know, just get over yourself. You're ridiculous. But it was so, it got stronger. The longer we were away, my feelings for wanting to come home just were so strong that in the end couldn't ignore him. Um, and my friends over there said to us, why are you going? You've been here eight years. Surely this is your life. And no, this is not my life. This is not where I'm from. This is not where my roots need to be. I need to go home and settle. And I remember one of the girls said, but who's going to organise us now that you're gone? I said, oh, well, someone else will have to, won't they? I've got things to do at home. I've got people over there to organise. The shows were awesome. There's no denying who doesn't love to be sat down in front of a mirror and someone play with your face for an hour um, and put beautiful makeup on you and have your hair done, have your nails done. That that was cool. There, there was a lot, I guess, a lot to kind of learn, knowing where to be on the catwalk, knowing where the cameras were, knowing where the lights were. And I just took it in my stride and I learned a lot by watching because I was a complete novice. I had no idea what I was doing or how to do it. So you do learn a lot on the job. I do recall when I went to Spain, I did a shoot and the photographer and all the stylists spoke Spanish. I couldn't speak Spanish. And they were, the photographer wanted, it was almost a topless shot and I was, there was no way I was going to do that. And in the end, I think he got quite upset with me, but I really didn't. I was I was about protecting me, and I used to always think, imagine if my father picked up a magazine and there was his baby girl showing her breasts, and that's that's what used I used to think and think I don't have to do that. And I recall some later on younger models saying to me, "Do you have to do you know nude shots or semi nude?" Or I'd say, "No, you do what you're comfortable with. It doesn't matter what they're telling you. You have to do." It is you, and I would tell that story. Imagine if your father picked up a magazine mm-hmm. and there's his baby girl there. You know, how would how would you feel? So you drew the line. Aye, aye. Did that come to the detriment of perhaps your reputation as a model? Perhaps photographers um, didn't want to work with you? I don't think so. I think um, I was always pretty straight up and honest, um, and no matter what who that person was shooting me, if it was for Vogue, if it was for Clio or whoever it was for, I guess it's from my grounding of my upbringing, it didn't affect me because it was a job. At the end of the day, that was my job. You'd booked me um, and I'd always ask questions, always wanted to chat. Okay, what are we doing? Who are we doing? What's for? (laughs) And um, so I I kind of, I guess, got a reputation of, oh, that Leanne, the Kiwi, um, straight up, no mucking around. And... I really enjoyed that, just being able to be honest. But you wouldn't compromise your own values. No, no. So, Leanne, um, can we talk about, I mean, yeah, 
some of the things that you were um, involved with, magazines, what, what magazine covers were you wore, were you um, on, um, clothes that you wore? Oh, I do recall um, Giorgio Armani, a beautiful cream suit, which was worth something crazy like $4,000. And the day of that shoot, because we had our daughter while we were uh, in Melbourne, she was four when we came back to Aotearoa to live, and she would come to the shoots with me because it was easy peasy. She was a good little quiet girl. She'd sit there and <laughs> this one day, I think she'd been eating lollies or something, sticky little fingers, and I'm about to put on this amazing suit that was worth you know, a ridiculous amount of money. And my daughter, she didn't come near the suit because she, you know, she, I'd say, you've got to sit there, dear, and just wait and you know, play with your toys or whatever. But I recall thinking, oh, my goodness, imagine if... She had a little patty, and I had to go to her and pick her up and whatever. Um, I mean, it didn't happen. The suit was amazing, and that ended up becoming an ad that they used a lot. Uh, actually, hilarious. This is a hilarious story. Worked for a photographer called Monty Monty Coles. Now, he was quite well-known at the time, uh, doing a shoot for um, a line called Saba, S-A-B-A, they were looking for someone to use in their posters and billboards all around Melbourne. And I rocked into the casting and um, he said, oh, you're a Kiwi? Yep. Do you have a boyfriend? Yep. Is he a big Māori boy? Yep. Do you want to bring him along? I'm like, oh, okay. And my my hubby, was he wasn't into the fashion no, industry. He was, he was a rugby playing Used to work at Borthwick, which is a meatworks, um, you know, straight up sort of bloke. He surfs. Anyway, I took him along, and Monty wanted to see how big he was. Wanted to see his muscles, I suppose. So I'm going, Andrew, you got to take your shirt off. He's like, what? <sighs> took his shirt off, and Monty's like, yep, I want you to for this shoot. So what he wanted was a big, strong male back, and then just the face of the woman kind of coming through. The most beautiful shot. I'd ever seen of us two, and Andrew was highly embarrassed. And um, is that on your? We our... used it as our wedding invitation. Oh. We used it as our wedding invitation, and this was we've been married now. I am eighty, eighty-eight. When did we get married? Eighty-nine. So for quite some time, twenty-one years. Twenty-one years, and it was kind of before people actually used their own photos for invitations or postcards or so forth. So our wedding invitation, which went out to all our whānau, was of us. And, and that shot. Aye, and it was that shot. So it was very, very cool black and white shot. We still have that. We show our children now and they mm. can't believe that that was Dad. And that was also blown up and made into a billboard all over Melbourne. So that was pretty cool. Your take on shows like... Project Runway, America's <sighs> Next Top Model. I mean, oh. you've been through that industry, oh. um, I mean, what, eight, nine years of your life back yeah. in the 80s. And I suppose the, the one thing for me, because, you know, I mean, I think Tyra Banks is quite amazing. She's oh. a bit of an entrepreneur. It's those shows, I have to say, I do enjoy watching them, but they make me laugh. It's interesting how the judges and the panel, they belittle everybody. And I, I just think for some of those young people, that's, that's all they can think of. Now, I'm not, I don't know if you've noticed, but all the models at the end when they do the... Um, the announcement the, of, Yeah, the, the elimination photo. round. Here's your photo. This oh. is what you look like. 
uh, all the models are wearing super flat shoes and Tyra Banks is wearing super high heels. So straight away they're looking up to her like she's a god. <laughs> and I just think you're a person. I, all the way through I've always thought everyone is of equal. And if you were blind, it wouldn't matter what you looked like. Um, this is kind of how I've always approached things. No one is any better than the next person. They might look flash. They might have the flash clothes um, they may have more money, they may not. doesn't mean they're any better than you or I. Um, and so some of the comments that are made I think are quite hilarious. Those, those girls are beautiful. They're all someone's baby girl. They have a mum, a nanny, you know, uncles, aunties. They are all special and important in their own way because, and I guess this is, I learnt, maybe it's a thick shell I, I gained through the modelling industry and I never took anything personally. You know, you'd rock up to a casting, which is an interview basically for a job. They'd want one person. There could be 30 people turn up for that one job, so only one of you is going to get the job. It's not personal if you don't get the job. It just means you're not the right look. That's all it meant. It's like um, you don't buy that pair of shoes because they don't fit you. You know, that's all it was. It was kind of as practical and as basic as that. But for some of those young people... Because they're quite, they are young and very immature. It's crushing, and I, it worries me. I have to say, I do. Um, I would encourage those young ones who want to be modelling, go modelling, to have a really good mentor, someone they trust totally, with them, so they can bounce off them and not take things personally. Kia ora, Leanne Matuku no Taranaki Whanui, a former glam 80s model, now working as a health promoter for Taranaki Sport. I'm Justin Murray and you're listening to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. The exhibition Wairarapa Moana officially opened this week. It's staged at Aratoi Museum in Masterton. Wairarapa Moana is the traditional name for the region and means Lake Wairarapa. It's the largest lake in the lower North Island region and was once abundant with eels and other kai for local Māori. The exhibition features aspects of the lake's Māori history, including beautiful flax hinaki or woven eel traps. But the centrepiece of the exhibition is the waka te heke rangatira, a taonga with enormous significance to the locals. The 14-metre waka is held at Te Papa and has been linked to the exhibition. It was shipped very carefully, over the hill to Masterton from its usual home in storage. But before leaving, it received a blessing and a farewell. So we've just had the formal blessing of the Heke Rangatira, the waka, here at Te Papa storage facility and um, the formalities have ended and now we are just going to observe the truck uplifting the waka to take it to Aratoi Museum in Masterton, Wairarapa Moana. Kia ora kui. Kia ora. Um, Kuatuingwa. Hariata tahana. Hariata tahana. Um, so, I mean, is this a, is this an honour for Wairarapa Moana Fano to get the uh, waka? For it, uh, for it to come back to Wairarapa for uh, 
think, seven months. And so it's really wonderful that we've come down to to be with the waka when it goes back to. And so could you explain what's going to happen once this leaves um, Te Papa Storage facility where we are in Wellington? What happens then? Then we take the journey back over the Maunga Remutaka and then we, until we arrive safely in uh, Wairarapa to uh, Aratoi. And there again they will have, be having a pōhiri again for the waka and Munga Taonga and we'll have a karakia again too. And then the 6th of November is when the Wairarapa Moana exhibition publicly opens. And this waka, the Heke Rangatira, is the main... Yes, but with all the other taongas taongas as well. So how significant is this waka to Wairarapa? Really, very, very, very significant. Because we're having our taonga, our tino rangatira, the waka... It's wonderful to have it come back for the uh, for the hui that we're going to have the exhibition and uh, for the seven months we're having it there. It's lovely. So I'm observing from the sidelines right now, and the forklift is um, backing away from the waka. And so as you're hearing, the forklift is get, getting into a position where it's um, guiding the waka te heke rangatira, which is now coming out of its storage shed. And as I look to my um, right, there's a large, oh, it's got to be at least uh, 10 metre wide haulage truck, forklifts. So now they're guiding the wakatehike rangatira out of the storage shed. And there's about eight men on each side of the waka guiding it. And it doesn't look easy at all. This is a, a delicate process. And it doesn't help with the Wellington winds as high as they are. But they're making their way uh, down the storage shed. So the... So to give you an idea of what's happening, the forklift has now lifted the front ihu of the waka. What a beautiful waka. Yes, very, very lovely. (laughs) Keep your toes clear of the wheels. So if you can imagine, a huge roller door is opened and now the waka is going out of that roller door. In front, by the tau ihu, is the forklift. And then in front of the forklift are about 16 men all guiding this waka, the heke rangatira, out of the Te Papa storage uh, facility, heading towards um, the Wairarapa Moana to Te Aratoi Museum. So now we've made our way outside of the storage facility where the um, waka is now being launched onto the, where the waka is, is being lifted onto the um, haulage truck. So now we have the, the forklift in operation and it's sliding over chains, safety chains, to then now uplift the waka onto the haulage truck.
Um, my name is Harmi Tafaiti. I'm the um, curator Māori at uh, Aratoi Museum in Marcelin. And um, we're here today to um, uplift um, our waka, Te Hikiranga Tira, um, and um, uh, take it back to um, the museum in Marcelin um, in preparation for an exhibition that's going to be involved with uh, um, uh, the story of Te Hikiranga Tira and um, the wider exhibition is about Wairarapa Moana. It's our, um, the biggest lake in the, in the bottom half of the North Island. <laughs> so, Harmi, can you explain what they're doing now, please? Um, so, uh, we, um, we've just brought... Um, uh, we've had a karakia, and then um, Te Hikirangatira is all crated up, um, ready to go. Um, this crate's just been recently built um, for it, and it's... Um, sitting on dollies um, for it to move. We've just pushed it um, to the roadside and um, we're um, about to, um, people are about to um, lift it onto the truck um, with a crane. So Hami, can you explain what will happen once this reaches Aratoi? So at Aratoi um, we're going to have a pōhiri for this taonga and also other taonga that are coming from Te Papa and um, also from Parliament. There's um, two of um, Seddon's Taonga coming for the exhibition as well and they're all coming in this one opi um, today so um, so we've got we've got a pōhiri organised for for that to happen um, over in, 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 at Aratoi Masterton. Busy day for you. Yes, yeah, busy day. <laughs> so as Hami was saying, the waka is surrounded by uh, planks and now there are strops and uh, heavy chains attached to the waka and it is now being uplifted. So the waka is officially in the air. It is, however, guided by um, the haulage workers here to ensure that it's safely uplifted onto the haulage truck. So the canoe is still suspended above the trailer and as this was happening, young boy from uh, Wairarapa Moana is uh, performing the haka. Unsure what the name of the haka is, but very appropriate to farewell it from its previous resting place and ensuring that the journey from Wellington to Masterton is safe and that it arrives safely to uh, Aratoi Museum as well as... Uh, the rest of the Taonga at Te Papa. Can you tell me the name of that haka you performed? Kowairarapa. Kowairarapa. Yes, haka we use in Wairarapa. It's to Whakamana, where we're from, and all that, yeah. And the waka has now been lowered onto the trailer. The Heke Rangatira, ready for its journey to Aratoi Museum. Kia ora ki te o Wairarapa Moana, and in next week's Te Ahika, we'll feature coverage of the exhibition. For links and further information about today's edition of Te Ahika, check out our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. You can also join our Facebook page Fano, where you'll receive our weekly updates or email us tiahika at radionz.co.nz. Kei te
In Te Ahika last week, we heard about the contemporary world of haute couture from Kitty Nathan, a designer who's bringing her Māori heritage to the world of high fashion. You'll be interested to know that in last week's Villa Maria cult couture competition, she was the runner-up in the Flight of Fancy section. Congratulations. But Kitty Nathan's certainly not the first Māori designer to work in this area. In today's dip back into the archives, we hear from a young Māori leaders gathering held in Auckland in August 2001. One of the participants was Malia Ana Tuketo from Northland. This Ngāpuhi designer, who was then a student at AUT, had just returned from studying the fashion industry in Italy as a Versace Classic Ambassadorial Award winner. Libby Hakaraya talked to Malia Anna about her experience of Italy and plans for the future. How did you get to be a fashion designer? Um, a lot of hard work, long hours, sleepless nights, uh, a lot of dreaming, just passion. The reason why I emphasised that and said you are a fashion designer is because if Italy is the, the world of fashion as we know it, if that is the mountain, you've been to the mountain already. Tell us about that. Jeez, oh, it was amazing. Um, it absolutely blew me away, opened my eyes. Um, I came back completely different person, um, different goals. Um, it was just amazing to have met such wonderful people in Italy, working with Versace, meeting the Versace family, going to Donatella's fashion shows, um, being uh, a guest of Andrea Bruno, who's um, Versace's um, Versace classic designer. He looked after me as if I was his daughter. It was wonderful. How did this all come to be? How did this happen? Um, it started because um, I'm in my last year of my degree at AUT. Um, I was chosen as the Versace ambassador um, to represent um, AUT and New Zealand and my people, Māori, um, to go over and be a guest of Versace and, and work with them and learn with them. And it happened, I suppose, just through um, the confidence that my university um, had in me, um, through my hard work that I've done in the past, um, just through um, my belief and, and where I'm going and what I'm going to do in my life. And um, people just can see that in me, I suppose, and that's how I got it. So being Versace's ambassador, now you're, does that mean you're Versace's ambassador for us, our country, Aotearoa, or are you more leaning on your Italian side, if I can just yeah. talk about your Italian whakapapa? Yeah. So you have a foot in both camps. Yeah. Yep. Able yep. to speak Italian? No, I learnt a little teeny weeny bit before I left, and um, I regret not learning it fluently. Because, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I heard that word a million times. What were some of the key moments where you pinched yourself when you were, you talked about, you know, being alongside uh, Donatella Versace, about you know being a, alongside this empire which just sits, you know, so high in the in the fashion world. <clears throat> what was I thinking? Or what was I going through? <laughs> I was absolutely buzzing out because. I mean, I must have been probably first New Zealander or Māori to be standing in Donatella's fashion show and you do not get invited to the show unless you are a celebrity or her top-paying client, you know. So I was very honoured and 
just once in a lifetime opportunity and oh, I just didn't want to leave. But um, you know, awesome memories, learnt a lot. Did you come away with the clothes? <laughs> um, I did get a lot of clothes from Versace. I got Versace Classic, which is um, another line underneath Donatella's line. Um, and that was awesome. Um, <laughs> I never wear them because I'm too scared that something will happen to them or I'll get jumped for my clothes or something because they're so expensive. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, a dress is what, $5,000, yeah. $6,000? Oh, easy, very easy. Um, one day that's my goal too, you know, people will be wearing my clothes with that much, my label. And now where are you going? You, you, you're doing, you're finishing your course at yep. AUT and yep. then what happens? Um, I'm probably going to move over to Europe and um, meet back with uh, all the Versace people that I met over there. They're, they're keen to see me again. Um, I had a few opportunities offered to me or I may stay in New Zealand and start from here. It just depends how I feel at the end of the year. Did they like your designs in Europe? Um, yes, I took over the power gown and they were just fascinated with power. Um, they also have um, the, the next men's launch 2002 has um, a Māori design inspiration in, within the prints and um, that was very humbly to um, know that they took inspiration from New Zealand, from our Māori culture, the designs and the carvings, and they mixed it and blended it with Italian culture and came up with this, this design, amazing design called the Māori design. And they presented it to um, all the international buyers, stood me up and said, you know, this is the Māori design and we're, um, we've designed this in celebration of Malia's presence here in her culture. So that was humbling and very teary-eyed. You know, I was, felt the way to I felt the spirit just run through me. Kia ora, Malia Anna Tukiro featured in that 2001 interview with Libby Hakaraya in today's selection from Natonga Kōrero. Today, Malia has since decided that fashion was not for her and now works as a technology teacher and fitness instructor. Inga iwi, kua tai anō mātou ki te kapinga a te ahikā. Hoi anō, he mihi tēne kia koutou katoa. That's te ahikā for another week. Aneira a arapata hakiwai, who we heard from at the Ngā Hauewha Māori Squash Tournament, with this week's Whakatauki. Ko te pai tāwhiti whaia kia tata, ko te pai tata whakamaua kia tēnā. So we've always tried to instil in our, our rangatahi to, to be what you can, to dream to reach those heights and uh, and even if you don't succeed or don't get there, treasure those things so we treasure all those things we're together but uh, for those we also sort of say look dream the dream and you be as good as you can Kia ora. In next week's Tiahika, I'm at the exhibition Wairara Pamuana with its curator Hami Te Whaiti, and Mariah Rakuraku talks to Indigenous health researcher Dr Clive Aspen He mihitina kia koutou katoa ngā kai whakarongo ki tamatou kai kōrero, the Hakiwai whānau, Thames and Levy, Scott Galloway, Leanne Matuku me te whānau o Wairarapa Moana. Atu i a rātou, ki te kai whakahaere tapu-tapu, kia ora rā. Me hoki mai hei tērā rātapu, mai te whānau a tiahi kā kia tātou katoa, maudi ora.